I'm very excited to start this new series talking about uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, talking about especially how the Gospel of John reveals to us who the Spirit is and how the Spirit works in our life. I think the Spirit of God is probably uh, someone that we don't talk enough about. Amen? Uh, And I think we need to talk more about His presence and how His presence changes everything. Uh, The word spirit, I I, I don't know if we all know this, maybe you know this already, but uh, the word spirit, both the word that's translated spirit in the Old Testament and the the word, the Greek word in the New Testament that's translated spirit, both have to do with wind or breath. And I think that's such a helpful metaphor for us to understand how and who the spirit of God is, wind or breath. Or breath. In fact, this morning when I got up and I looked out my window, you'll never guess what I saw. I saw moving trees, right? You probably saw some moving trees this morning too. As I was driving here, I probably could look out right now and see, don't turn around, but I could see moving trees, right? And, and, and we know that they're not moving by their own power, by their own volition, right? We know that something, something else is, is moving them. There's an invisible presence that's moving, we might even say animating those trees. If I take a piece of paper and I blow on it and it moves, and I ask you what moved that paper, what animated that paper, you might say, and rightfully so, you would say, well, you did, Wes. And that's true, right? I, I moved that paper. But, but, but it's also true that something else moved that paper, Something that proceeded from me to do my will, to invisibly bring about motion, to animate something. So an invisible presence that is me, and yet at the same time is distinct from me, came out from me and went somewhere else to accomplish my will, to bring about animation and motion. You see, that that's... That's who the Spirit is. He is God, yet at the same time, He's distinct from both Jesus and the Father, but He goes out from the presence of God to accomplish the Father's will, to set things in motion, to animate things in the world. And He is God, yet He's distinct from both the Father and the Son. You might also think about and embrace the idea of Power and empowerment. I like to think about the way wind works with a sailing ship. You know, I've never been on a sailing ship, but I've, I've seen enough pictures and movies to understand basically how it works, right? I mean, you know that the wind is what moves that, that ship. The ship doesn't move itself. It's the power of the wind that moves it in the direction that it's, it's going, right? But, but unlike wind or electricity or power, The Spirit of God isn't impersonal, right? Wind is impersonal. It's an impersonal force. Electricity is a power and a force, but it's impersonal. The way Jesus talks about the Spirit, the way the prophets talk about the Spirit, is that it's not an it. He's a he, right? The Spirit of God is a he. So this is how I would describe, I think the Bible describes the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the personal Invisible, empowering presence of God. The personal, right? He's a he. It's not, it's not a force or it's not a feeling. 
It's not something, he's not something that can be manipulated by lighting or music or fog machines, right? He's not a feeling. He is a he. He is God. Yet at the same time, he is distinct from both the Father and the Son. And is at the same time in perfect unity and harmony with the Father and the Son. And he proceeds from the presence of God and brings the presence of God to bring about the will of God to the glory of God in the world. He is the personal, invisible, empowering presence of God. And I think that's how scripture describes him. But I think in order for us to go to the gospel of John and explore how John the baptizer and John who's writing the book and Jesus himself talk about the spirit, I think first, as we do a lot of times, we have to go back to the Hebrew scriptures We have to go back to the Old Testament prophets and understand how the Spirit of God is connected to and is in relationship to the Messiah, right? Because that's who the people of God were waiting for, right? The faithful remnant of God's people were waiting for the Messiah to come, but they were also, they were also under the understanding that the Messiah would be in direct relationship with the Spirit of God. And that's an incredibly important point. The Messiah and the Spirit would be in perfect relationship with one another. So let's look at a few passages, especially from Isaiah and Ezekiel and even from Joel. So Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. We're going to go through a lot of scripture, and I apologize. I usually like to stay in one text, but I think in order for us to understand that text, we've got to look at this as an introduction. There shall come forth, Isaiah says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And here's how he describes the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit, the spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Messiah would be one who was empowered with Wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord because the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and his verse three and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Do do you remember when the woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus? John chapter eight. And we talked about how Jesus is, is really deciding this case like Solomon would decide. And it's evidence that the Spirit of God rests upon him and that he decides disputes not by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Isn't that interesting? Not with the sword, not, not with the rod of steel, but with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips, he shall, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Then look at Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights, 
I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed, he will not break. He's not going to go on a a rampage. He's not going to be a tyrant. He's not going to go around breaking and screaming and yelling and calling all kinds of attention to himself. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a faintly burning wick, He will not quench, but he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And this was the passage, you remember in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus goes to the synagogue and he takes the Isaiah scroll and he opens it to this exact place and he reads it and he says, this is fulfilled In your hearing, I am the fulfillment of this. The Spirit of the Lord God, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has, look at that word, anointed. In Hebrew, it's Messah. That sounded like a word we know, Messah, like Messiah, right? The anointed one. And anointed one referred to a king or to a priest, one on whom oil, like olive oil, not like motor oil or essential oil, you know, just olive oil, right? Olive oil was smeared on their head to say, God has chosen you to lead his people, to represent his people. But Isaiah says that there's going to be one who comes who is anointed not with oil, but with the spirit of God. And the spirit of God will come upon him and will anoint him to say, this is my beloved one. This is my chosen one. The spirit, and Jesus reads these words and says, that's, that's me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee. It's Jubilee. Prisoners go free. The slaves go free. Everything is made new. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The Spirit of God will anoint the Messiah so that he goes out into the world with wisdom and righteousness and he brings justice and he brings peace and he brings the will of God. But do you see again how spirit, wind, breath is a great metaphor for how the Messiah will move and function in the world, he's like a ship that's powered by the Spirit of God. God is going with him and empowering him to do God's will to the glory of God. And that's why he speaks and acts with justice and wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. But I think there's more to it than that. It isn't just that the Messiah is going to be spirit-filled to the uttermost. It's that the prophets also promise that when the Messiah comes, there will also be this time of refreshing where God will pour, pour out his spirit, not just on the Messiah, but on all of God's people. Let's look at a few other passages. Isaiah 44, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 44. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, 
Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will, listen to this metaphor, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Isaiah is a prophet that's filled with condemnation to say you are going to be and are being punished by God because of your wickedness and and exile is coming and punishment is coming. But then when everything is dried out and everything is broken, God will pour out water on a dry and thirsty land. I just kind of picture it. You've seen deserts, right? with like that hard crust on top and it's just cracked and brittle as far as you can see. And that's this image that the whole world is dry and thirsty and broken and God will pour water, streams on the dry ground. And then he kind of explains what that means. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I'm the Lord's. Another will call in the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and, the na- and name himself by the name of Israel. You see? God's saying, at some point in the future, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the world. And, and, and what was dry and what was desert and what was desolate, it'll be like willows. Where do willows grow, right? They, they grow on the banks of creeks and rivers and streams. And that's, these people will be popping up everywhere saying, I'm a part of this story. I'm a part of the story of Israel. The God of Israel and the God of Jacob is my God. I belong to the Lord. These are the promises that the prophets made to God's people. That at some point in the future, not only will the Messiah come who is anointed with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit with wisdom and counsel and righteousness and justice and might, but then God will pour out His Spirit on the people. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 24. Ezekiel 36. I will take you from the nations. Remember, because the people are exiled. I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." If we're going to understand the Spirit of God and how the Spirit works in our lives, then we need to understand what the prophet said about the coming of the Spirit of God. And the coming of the Spirit of God wasn't, hey, God wants you to be able to do all kinds of amazing, miraculous powers and you know, show off what a great, powerful, miraculous thing you have within you. It wasn't even about speaking in tongues or about healing people or about doing miracles. The power of the Spirit living in and amongst the people of God was this, was a changed life. You see what it says? I will put my Spirit within you so that you will be caused to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
God has always been saying to his people, you've been hard-hearted, you've been disobedient, you've done what you wanted to do, you've got a heart of stone, and I'm going to change all that. I'm going to take that heart of stone out, I'm going to give you a brand new heart, and I'm going to put my spirit within you so that you can walk in a way that brings glory and honor to me so that you can be obedient to me. And again, isn't that what the spirit does? The personal, invisible, empowering presence of God goes out from God into the world to set in motion the Father's will. And and that's what the prophets say, that someday the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on mankind and everything is going to be changed because there's going to be a changed, transformed people who are not only cleansed from their sin, but their hearts are changed and their minds are changed and their lives are changed and their obedience is changed. Verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. Look at the next chapter, Ezekiel 37, verse 11. You remember this this vision that Ezekiel has about the dry bones? You remember that? Ezekiel goes out and there's this valley of dry bones and he prophesies and the the bones stand up and then they're all tied together with tendons and ligaments and then muscles and skin and they become living, breathing people. Just like Israel was scattered and broken and dry, dead. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. A couple chapters later, Ezekiel 39, starting in verse 28. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations. And then I assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. And then the prophecy that Peter, remember on the day of Pentecost, When all of this came to fruition, Peter quoted from the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. So not only... Do the prophets say the Messiah is coming and he will be filled with the spirit of the Lord and everything he does will be righteous and just. He's not going to look at things and he's not going to be biased. He's not going to judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear, but he's going to be moved by and motivated by in step with, in relationship with the spirit of God. And he's going to bring about the will of God on earth. And then God is going to pour out his spirit on people on average, ordinary, common people, everybody, men and women, free men and servants, everybody, God is going to pour out his 
Spirit to move them in the right direction so that they do his will. And, and look at this phrase, and, and it's often used, pour out. As if the Spirit is like water or, or liquid, right? Pour out. I was at a funeral yesterday, a godly woman who passed away, and, you know, her son-in-law got up and he talked about how she poured her life into other people and how other people poured their life into her and into their family. And I thought that's, that's a phrase, a metaphor we use often, isn't it? Pour your life into someone. That's what you do for your children, don't you? You want them to go in the right direction. You want them to have everything that they need. And so you pour yourself into them with, with lots of things, with the things that you teach them, with the discipline you give them, with the time you just sit and listen to them, with the hugs you give them, whatever it is. And you do that for your neighbors and for your coworkers. You pour your life into people. And that's what God promises that he will do for us. I will pour my spirit into the people and it will change them when my spirit fills them and empowers them. So these are the sorts of promises that the people of God, the remnant, and of course, there, there were people that when Jesus showed up, they said, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy or anything he's teaching or anything he's promising. This isn't the sort of anointed one, Messiah, that we want. We want a different kind of Messiah, not who's going to slay enemies with the words of his mouth, but who's going to slay enemies with a sword. Not who has a rod from his mouth, but who has a rod of steel, who's going to kill some Romans. That's the kind of Messiah I want. But this is not the type of Messiah that was promised by the prophets. The kind of prophet, the kind of Messiah that the prophets promised was the kind of Messiah Jesus was, who showed up filled with and moved by and empowered by the Spirit of God. And not only having the Spirit, but eventually giving the Spirit. So let's look at our text in John chapter 1 and verse 29. Again, all that was just introduction, so you're welcome. Uh, We're almost done, I promise. John 1 and verse 29. The next day he saw, this is John the baptizer, right? So he's baptizing people. And again, do you see how, how connected that is to everything the prophet said? You need to be cleansed. You're broken and you're dry and you're rebellious and you're exiled, and you need cleansing from your defilement. Not only your personal defilement, but the defilement collectively as a people. And as a people, you need cleansing and healing and restoration and renewal and reviving, resurrecting, resurrecting. That's what you need. And so here comes this prophet of God, empowered by the Spirit, who says, listen, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm preparing the way of the Messiah. Not just I'm preparing the way for the Messiah, but I'm preparing the way for Yahweh, for God, for the Lord to come. And he's going to come. And he's going to cleanse you and heal you and revive you. And so John is baptizing people and he looks up and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. And this is interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say, who takes away the sin of Israel. That's true. That's what they were waiting for. But he says, who takes away the sin of the, what church? The world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself, I didn't know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, who's that? The Father, right, God, sent him to baptize with water and said to him, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. Isn't that everything the prophets have said about the Messiah? The Messiah is the one on whom the Spirit of God descends and remains. And God gives this visible sign, this Like a dove, the Spirit of God coming down like a dove, descending so that John would know, this is Him. This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one who's going to breathe new life. This is the one who's going to pour water on a dry ground. This is the one who's going to revive. This is the one who's going to restore. This is the one who's going to resurrect God's people. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And again, even that metaphor or idea of baptizing with the Spirit, doesn't that go along with everything the prophets have said about the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the Messianic age where the Messiah reigns and he pours out the Spirit? He immerses people in the Spirit. He gives God's people His Spirit. Like the Messiah is pouring out water on a dry and broken ground. So again, here's what I would say. Jesus' work in pouring out the Spirit was like pouring water on dried ground. That's that's what happened on Pentecost. That's what happened at Cornelius' house. This powerful, visible, breaking forth heaven and earth coming together. This pouring out from heaven to earth, the Spirit of God, like water on a dry and broken ground. Now just, you have to picture it, don't you? Imagine in your head this desert, this wilderness. That It's not just Israel that's a dry wilderness. It's the entire world. Dark, broken, and dry. And then God from heaven... Specifically, Jesus from heaven, the Son of Man, resurrected and ascended and sitting at the right hand of God, pours out the Spirit of God on this dry land. And then he spreads. He spreads like water does, like wind does. He spreads from from Jerusalem throughout Israel and Samaria and Judea. And he spreads all over the world. The Spirit of God spreading, and everywhere He spreads, He brings life and renewal, transformation in us, cleansing, healing, and the power to walk in the will of God. You know, and sometimes we look at sort of that, that initial breaking out and the speaking in tongues and the healing and all those things that happen, and we say, well, where's that? And we miss what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, listen, don't get caught up in all of that. These sort of visible, powerful things. Here's the most powerful things that the Spirit of God gifts to you. It's faith and hope and love. 
And the greatest of these is love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he has sent his spirit into our lives to change us and transform us. When we were baptized in water, Jesus began to give us his spirit. See, and sometimes we, we think, oh, yeah, I want that, right? I want to change life. I want to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. I want that. I want to be more of that. And so sometimes we, we focus on, I just, I want to feel it. I want to, you know, give me some sort of tingling sensation. But, but listen, here's how the Spirit works. The Spirit isn't drawing attention to himself but is drawing attention to the Son of Man, to Jesus, to the Messiah, to the Anointed One, who is the one who gives the Spirit. And when you put your faith in the one who gives the Spirit, the Spirit is given to you. And so there's our moment of truth question. Here's our moment of truth. Are you putting your faith in the one who gives the Spirit? And isn't that what the apostles would teach as you you go on through their letters? especially Paul's writings. He says, listen, he tells people to be filled with the Spirit. You say, how do you, how do you get filled with the Spirit, right? I thought I got the Spirit when I got baptized. Well, it's not binary. It's not either you have it or you don't have him. You have to be filled with him. It's like, it's like if you're sailing a ship. I don't, again, I don't know anything about it, but I know probably you point your sails in the right direction, they're going to be more filled with the wind and, and move better in the right direction, right? You got to point your sails in the right direction. And that means point them towards Jesus. And when you set your focus on the author and perfecter of our faith, when you trust him, Ephesians chapter 5, when you give thanks in his name, when you sing praises to him and for him, when you put your trust and your faith and your hope in Jesus, he is the one who gives the spirit. And when he gives you the spirit, it changes your life. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better neighbor. I want to to be a better preacher. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better son. I want that for all of us, don't you? I want to be more filled with the fruit of God's spirit. But we have to recognize that those things don't come about by human effort. They come about by putting our faith in Jesus by walking in his steps, by imitating his selfless love and faithfulness. And when we put our trust in him and follow him, he is the one who gives the spirit, and by that spirit, we are transformed. It begins at baptism. That's where that that dying to self, that renewal and restoration and resurrection, revival, that's where it begins. But then it continues as we walk in light as he is in the light, in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to begin that journey with the Lord or, or get back on that journey with the Lord. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement from people who are trying our very best to be filled with the Spirit of God. If we can help you this morning, let the shepherds pray with you, pray for you, or right now, come forward while we stand and sing the song.